Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. We are on the eve, well, maybe not the eve, maybe like a few days before the eve of UCLA, or maybe it's going to be today. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? UCLA announcing we're, a new We're on the edge play. of it. We're on the, the edge, edge of glory, as Lady Gaga yes. would say. Uh, Tracy, how are you? I'm, I'm good, Dave. How are you, my friend? I can't complain. I could. I'm not okay. going to. Um, Thank you. Everyone can complain. But it, look, it's an exciting time for UCLA sports, so how could we complain, right? Um, it kind of was a good day. Yeah. I, I mean, just overall, there's some optimism with some developments, I think. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's, let's just dive right in, because I think um, it is an optimistic moment um, for UCLA. Um, I think it was yesterday where it kind of started to, I think you reported, but it kind of got it out that it was down to more or less two, where they were talking about Jamie Dixon and Mick Cronin. Um, and then today, it's looking much more like Jamie Dixon. Um, and I wrote my own thoughts about it, but I kind of want to hear yours first off. What would you think of a Jamie Dixon era at UCLA? Yeah, well, first off, I think um, just so that it you know this has been three months and there are things you can you can pick apart when it comes to any any kind of coaching search. Uh, we've picked them all apart in a lot of past coaching searches. UCLA generally hasn't done that well in the last few years. Um, there are always probably going to be a few missteps. They got the Chip Kelly one, you know, particularly right. A lot of things came together. A lot of things came together and they didn't blow it. So there's a lot to be said when you're doing deals, when you don't blow something, that's, that's like the majority of the deal. Um, I thought they did a lot of due diligence. It's an interesting kind of environment right now uh, with the FBI investigation, with some other scandals, with some coaches, there's just a lot out there. And, you know, there's, if you fire someone and want to hire someone within two weeks, there's a, there's a lot you might miss that just, you know, doesn't come up in just a Google search. Um, so that was one thing over the course of the last few months when we were saying, well, you know, this guy, this certain guy isn't a fit and everyone go, well, why? I don't see anything. Well, you, you kind of have to trust that there might be some things and there are some, maybe some people in the know, uh, that might think some of those things weren't severe enough. Everyone has their different sensibilities about it. Uh, I, my own sensibility, and I'm not defending UCLA in any way, my own, like I talked to Greg Hicks for about an hour about this, and Greg and I kind of differ on it, um, especially, uh, you know, with like someone like Bill Self. Greg's opinion is hire Bill Self. If, if they're scandaled two years later, well, you just you, you fire him. But I, I think there's a lot of people out there. I, I think there's you don't have to necessarily do that, um, especially with some guys where you actually, like, let's say Bill Self, you, you don't know what's going to happen, literally. You're being told some things that could happen, and it could be even worse. And given some of their past hires, the, the hire with Steve Alford, I can I can understand personally why why not and because I'm of the mindset UCLA just needs a good coach and it will do well. I'm of the mindset go out and get a relatively clean coach who's good and UCLA will do well. So I think they've done their due diligence pretty well. And I'm just going to be straight here. I don't necessarily think the John Calipari thing was flubbed like a lot of people do. Um, maybe there might have been some missteps on the UCLA side in terms of information, but I am now of the, of completely of the opinion that John Calipari would have never come to UCLA. Um, that he was from what I've heard from people very close to around the college basketball scene is uh, let's put it this way. When it was first coming, when it was first out there, I got two texts from people in the college basketball world. They said, hey, there's some buzz over UCLA and Calipari two, from two different people, independent. Their next line in my text was, but watch out for Cal. He likes to do this all the time, and it's just not for money, but it's for his ego. 
I ultimately have come around to the fact to think that that's what that was about, um, that he probably was never seriously coming to UCLA. And there are probably uh, some donors and people close to the UCLA program who think that he was coming and somehow UCLA blew the deal. And maybe that's true. I, I can't. I'm guessing right now, but I don't think he was ever going to come. Um, so I think all in all, you know, we can argue over who's got too many skeletons in their closet and who doesn't. From the very beginning, I think um, the number one target was Tony Bennett. And I thought, and even you could see in the hot board, I kind of implied it, that the number two guy was, you know, was Jamie Dixon. Um, and then... Uh, I mean, whether that's a little bit of a step down, yes, given what Tony Bennett has done and accomplished. But then there was a step down, I think, from also from Jamie Dixon. So there's one other element. I know I'm rambling on, but there's one other element that you have to take into consideration. The UCLA basketball brand has been particularly diminished. You, you can see it in UCLA called a number. UCLA has a lot of money. They got facilities. They got donor support. This is not your father's UCLA anymore, and they couldn't get some. It wasn't a matter of who was running, who was running the search. They couldn't get, they couldn't get a lot of people interested, given all that. And I think it's basically because the brand has been run into the ground. Um, what do you think about that, Dave? I I don't know. Um, I don't know about that because. Yes, I think if you're if you're speaking just like X blue blood program wanted to get say and just like I, I know they didn't pursue him heavily because there were some other issues, but Chris Beard X program wanted to get Chris Beard or X program wanted to get Matt Painter, then yeah, in a vacuum, why isn't the Purdue coach or the Texas Tech coach going there? But it's UCLA, it's a West Coast program, um, and historically, look at the coaches UCLA has gotten. Um, Ben Howland, the reason they were able to land him was because he, like, he's a California guy. Like, I mean, he yeah. was coaching at UCSB. Like, it wasn't like he was just the big-time guy. He was the big-time guy, yes, but it was a California guy with roots out here. Like, it makes sense. That's a really, sense. really good point. That's a really, really good point. Another point. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, looking around, if there was a, if there was somebody with that kind of basis. I think Tony Bennett is maybe the closest thing, and that's not even a close thing. It's just he has Pac-12 experience, but he wasn't California. And then maybe, and then maybe Jamie Dixon. And then Jamie Dixon, exactly. And I think that's why you're seeing because look, if it was a if it was a Chris Beard situation at TCU where he had where say it was Jamie Dixon, but he had absolutely no ties to California, I don't think they would be in negotiations to hire him right now. Like I think he would probably tell him, oh, well, I'm happy here. He's making three point two million dollars in Dallas, which goes a long way. Well, just did. take just take Matt Painter. Yeah, Matt Painter. Well, I'm going to just say that was a guy I think who went through UCLA's betting clean, clean has a good reputation in in the industry. Just a personal, you know, integrity uh, reputation. He's a guy from what I've heard from people around out there in the Midwest who are close to that situation. Um, UCLA showed a lot of interest in Matt Painter from what I've gathered, gathered from them. And he said he was not interested. If that had been Kansas, North Carolina, Duke named blue bloods, I bet he would have said he was probably interested. He was not in, there's also, like you're saying, there's also the big, when you're in the Midwest, Midwest people might get mad at this, but it's just a virtual fact. It's all kind of the same. Indiana to Iowa to Ohio, you're all that's the lifestyle. The West Coast lifestyle is completely different. It's it's a change and for your wife and your kids and it's it's a big thing and if you don't have that big UCLA buzz going people uh, it's a big step for them to want to be able to change their entire way of life and move to Los Angeles. And Matt Painter turned them down. Yeah. I, I, and, and, Just think about that. Matt Painter turned down UC This is UCLA that's flush with money, a great facility, and he turned them down. Yeah, and I, but I, I guess it's just I'm, I'm having trouble finding the test case where UCLA actually was able at any point to land that type of guy. 
But it's different now because they have money and facilities. So there was always the they they lowballed Brad Stevens. Yeah, <laughs> they lowballed Chris Peterson. They lowballed everyone. I mean, there were reasons why anyone who you you know would not have come to UCLA five years ago for money, resources, support, you know, no charter plane, whatever. All of those things have been eliminated. Yeah. They're all there. So what's, I mean, Greg Hicks brought up a good point that probably some coaches were concerned about who their bosses, who their boss was going to be at as the athletic director. That is a big thing for coaches too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that was an element also, I think. I, I don't know specifically from coach to coach, but I'd have to assume that was a big thing. Their, their relationship with their athletic director for all coaches is a big thing. So, but it's really interesting. Um, and, and this is a thing, all those pundits out there that were saying, you know, UCLA's, the UCLA job isn't a good one. And by saying that they were right, they're not right. <laughs> what they should have said is coaches all across the country think the job isn't a good one. Then they would have been accurate, but I think they're all wrong. I, I think Whoever takes this job, if it's Jamie Dixon or Mick Cronin, are doing it primarily because they recognize what the UCLA program could be, and they recognize it could be something very quickly. You, I am apt. I do not know this. I'm speculating, but Jamie Dixon is still very close to Ben Halland. Within the first hour of entertaining the idea of going to UCLA, probably. July, uh, January 1st, after Steve Alford was fired, December 31st, he probably called Ben Halland. And I would bet Ben Halland said, yeah, no, that's, it's, that's a great job, <laughs> especially yeah. with all the facilities they have. Absolutely. So people keep asking, you know, they're trying to nail this down in generality so they, got, they can get their mind around it, but every single coaching search is different. <clears throat> From what's available, the timing of it, whether it's the program has been successful, just literally the candidates that are out there at the time. I mean, what would have happened in football if Chip, Chip Kelly just had a thing? He liked UCLA. He liked Los Angeles. <laughs> he, his, his wife, liked his wife-to-be, who he married a few months later, liked the lifestyle. I, I mean, just things, there have to be a lot of elements that, that come together. Well, think about this, uh, just this one simple thing. <coughs> if Tony if Tony Bennett had gotten bounced in the first weekend and he gets the same godfather offer that John Calipari got, I mean, are we sitting here talking about Tony Bennett as the next UCLA head coach? I think there's I, a pretty I, good chance, actually. I, I think there's a pretty good chance. That's how variable, unpredictable all of this is. Absolutely, I think there's a very good chance. So everyone wants to blame something on, on some big reason that they see consistent throughout. And it's just, you know, you can't give them that. It's just more complicated. It's more textured and it's just so variable and fluid. Like what you said, it very well could be that it was Tony Bennett if, if he got bounced. Um, I mean, wasn't he down at one point in one of the first couple of round games? Yeah, they were, like, no, they were, he was down in the first oh, round or to a 16 seed again. Yeah, and they were losing to Purdue pretty – I mean, that wasn't – I thought Purdue was going to win that game. Yeah. Even, even if they had lost to Purdue in the regional final. I, I mean, it, it's exactly like – that's how this goes, and people don't – everyone doesn't get it. Yeah. But overall, you asked me originally, I, I, I think – I think Jamie Dixon is a very solid, good coach um, for many reasons. I've watched his teams. The stats, the stats support that. Uh, your Ken Palm stuff supports it. Uh, if you watch his teams, um, y y it supports it. And then, you know, I've spent years out on that AU trail, and you run across coaches. And, you know – you end up in a gym at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night sitting on the bleachers. And so you start talking to a lot of coaches. It's like I've told you. I've really gained a lot of respect. I was 
for Tony Bennett. He was a very one of the sharpest guys that I had ever run across when he uh, took over that Washington State job. Jamie Dixon was a, is a very, really, really sharp guy. Very good at evaluation. Um, so I have a lot of respect for his overall ability to coach um, and run a program. Uh, there's a lot of things that fit really well. Um, Chris Carlson goes back with Jamie Dixon all the way to the Pittsburgh staff for Ben Howland. Um, they know each other. They're very familiar with each other. If he hires, uh, I, I'm assuming, I'm almost sure he'll hire Dwayne Broussard. Now, a lot of people might want not might not want a leftover from the Steve Alford era, but I I actually uh, think Dwayne Broussard does a good job for what his role is. He's mostly an administrative guy, an assistant coach, and and he's very good. He's actually very personable. He's very good with the players. He's he's good with recruits. He provides a dimension to the program that that's very needed. Now. On top of that, let's say that's the part of the staff, and then Jamie Dixon brings in two killer recruiters, then who have West Coast ties. Then you you have a you have close to like what we're talking about, maybe a dream staff. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this. Uh, ultimately, if Jamie Dixon comes in, spends a number of years, turns the program around. Uh, builds up the brand. That's where that's where we want. I'm not hoping that he wins eight national championships. I just want to see UCLA get put back in the national conversation. Yeah, I think that's uh, and I think that's a completely fair expectation for what Dixon brings to the table. I, I I think I don't know what it is. I think because UCLA fans have been familiar with Dixon for. I mean, 16 years, essentially, since Howland was hired. I think everyone kind of kept Dixon kind of in the back of their minds because they're like, oh, Pittsburgh, that was that team that our coach came from. Cool. I'm going to pay attention to them a little bit. I think because he's so familiar to them and he's been around for now 16 years head coaching at Pittsburgh and then TCU, people have this, I don't know, like a familiarity breeds contempt thing with him. This isn't hiring Steve Alford. This is hiring a proven successful coach who... I really think people are underselling what he's doing at TCU right now. I mean, that is a horrible program. It's maybe the <laughs> worst in Power Five. Um, it's like right there with Rutgers, um, historically. There's there's not even a real comparison between what TCU and Texas Tech do, historically. Texas Tech is far better. Um, to do what he's doing right now, I mean, these are three of their four best seasons ever, his three seasons there. I, I just... You really can't discount that. He took them from absolute trash in Trent Johnson's last year in 2016, where they were 12-21, and 2-16 and in conference, and turned them into NIT champs, 24-15, and 6-12 and in conference. That is a meteoric rise. That's, that's not something you see a whole lot. Like when, when Ben Howland took over Pittsburgh, that took a full year before they were decent. UCLA, when Ben Howland took over, that took a full year to get them to okay, and then two full years to get them to pretty damn good, which was that first Final Four year. Um, but to turn them around, to turn TCU around into a competent program in one year is impressive as hell. Um, and then you look at the rest of the resume, this this doesn't compare unfavorably to Howland when he came into the UCLA job. It's remarkably similar, except Dixon has more longevity. He's been coaching high major programs for a while. And yeah, that leaves more room for the occasional mediocre season, which I'm looking at 2012 and 2015 especially. But there's a lot of really good here and a lot of proven ability to coach both offense and defense. But honestly, especially offense. He's had five Ken Palm top 10 offenses in his time coaching Pittsburgh and TCU, which are not programs that historically get a ton of really great offensive talent. So... I don't know. I, I, I think people maybe just have, it's just the familiarity of them, that, that, that name, they just remember it and they're like, oh, Pittsburgh, that's a place where they're just tough, bruising guys. And the number of people who just think he was a defensive coach when that really is not borne out by the stats, 
this is a good hire. I mean, it's not it's not blowing the doors off anybody. It's not Tony Bennett. It's not John Calipari. It's not Jay Wright. It's not Brad Stevens. But it's not. This is better than Buzz Williams. It's better than Mick Cronin if they actually do end up with Dixon. I mean, Mick Cronin, fine coach. He's not Jamie Dixon. Like this, doing this at Pittsburgh and TCU is more impressive than anything Mick Cronin's done in his career. Um, so. I just I think people need a little bit of a change of perspective on on what Jamie Dixon brings to the table. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's, I, but I think it's also that, you know, I have sympathy. I, I think UCLA fans have just been struggling for so. I mean, if you just take Hallen's last five years and Alford's six years, that's eleven years. <laughs> God, that's just that's like being in a prison being tortured for 11 years. You oh, know yeah. when you when you hear like someone was in prison for 11 years <laughs> in chains, <laughs> you go, "Wow, that's a long time." This is a long time. And I don't want to associate with obviously with someone who was in prison, don't get mad at me, but you understand the analogy. And UCLA fans other than Helen's Allen's, you know, first five years, we go back to 1995. That's 24 years and take away his five, 19 years of struggling. It's just, so people come out of that and now they have the money, they have the resources. So you can see why people say Tony Bennett, Calipari, Bill Self, you know, or Roy Williams or, or no one that I'm not going to be happy with anyone else. And I can understand that, but when they start going from coach to coach to coach to coach and you start telling them, well, this guy is this, this guy is this, this guy has these skeletons, this guy, his wife said absolutely. Buzz Williams is and his wife are Texas A&M alum. They wouldn't even let UCLA, from what I heard from a guy very close to Buzz Williams, they would. They were kind of, I think they were kind of anticipating Texas A&M would open up. And secondly, his wife did not want to live in LA. They would not even listen to UCLA's pitch. So, I, I mean, then someone will come on the board and say, well, why not Buzz Williams? <laughs> I, I know you all have that and everyone wants to shoot high and have aspirations, but when it comes to the reality of it, some of them were just not going to happen. So I think overall, if they hired Jamie Dixon, I, I have to give that a, a thumbs up given their hiring history. Because as you said, everything about Jamie's, Jamie's coaching, if you watch them play his, his resume just screams of good coaching to do it at Pittsburgh and to do it at TCU and to come in. The, the way you can turn a program around pretty immediately is that you, you bring in good coaching and that's what he's done. Um, so I think, I think it's, I think it's a thumbs up of a hire. Now we're not even sure it's happened. It's going to happen. You know, nothing's been inked here and you know, we can't even talk about what stage it's in because by the time we do this, Maybe it will be inked or maybe it won't. But so we're just talking in this in this vacuum right now. Yeah. By, but, the, um, by the time we publish this, I mean, it might be, you know, we might be looking at the uh, Tyus Edney era. We don't know. <laughs> exactly. But no, can we well, talk but, about but, but, that UCLA but, hot board at a million? What is it? A million fifty thousand. That's incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. That's crazy. I, I wanna, I need to get this. I just need to make this abundantly clear to everyone out there because Buzz Williams keeps get keeps getting brought up as somehow preferable to Jamie Dixon, and I want to let everyone know, Buzz Williams's best year was this year. This year at Virginia Tech, they were the twelfth best team in the country according to Ken Palm. That would rank as Jamie Dixon's seventh best season as a head coach. Just Jamie Dixon was over 500 in the ACC. Everyone's talking about how he sucked in the ACC. He was over 500 in the SEC. Buzz Williams, four games under 500. Just let's, let's keep a little bit of perspective. Just because we're familiar with a guy doesn't mean he's bad. Okay? Well, the one, thing we, the one thing I think everyone does too, and humans are just prone to this, you know, what you've, what you've done for me lately, everyone always walks away from a season 
with what they did with what a college basketball team did in the NCAA tournament. And that's kind of their lasting impression of, uh, and even with football, UCLA, you know, if they have kind of a mediocre season in any given year, but they beat USC and then win their bowl game, people pretty much come away thinking, oh, that was a, that was a decent season. Even if they sucked for the first nine games, um, especially in basketball, it's all about the NCAA tournament. And, I think that's one element, absolutely, how you do in the post, but how you do in the regular season should be weighted pretty heavily, too. <laughs> I, think it's, um, I, I think it's much more important to rate the, the regular season because the tournaments, to, to, a, to a big extent, I'm not going to say to the largest extent, but to a big extent, the tournament is luck. It's who's hot right then, who shoots. I mean, it's, it's a... I mean, there's a high variance in the tournament. That's why you see some bad teams get pretty far occasionally. Which um, is what I wish Ben Howland would have recognized. Right, right. Um, but anyway, anyway, yeah, Hotboard. That was great. Million views. That's great. <laughs> I know, crazy. Pretty impressive. Um, pretty impressive. Yeah, so, yeah. So it was a good day. There was also a four-star quarterback commitment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, it, it, it truly is one of the biggest commitments. I haven't even looked at rankings and numbers, but it, it because it's a quarterback and it's a four star guy and it's a guy that fits what Chip Kelly wants to do. Parker McQuarrie, that is. I mean, Sean Ryan would be the other big commitment, but I think since this guy's a quarterback, I'm going to go on a limb and say this is the biggest commitment of the Chip Kelly era so far. Yeah, for uh, the composite, he is. 267th nationally uh, for 247, he's 255th um, pro style, 10th best, uh, 7th best by 247. Big dude, 6'7", 208. Um, so, you know, I, I think he has some mobility from watching him, but definitely more airing on the, you know, passer, pocket passer type quarterback, which, you know, I think it, it continues to signal what we're suspecting after watching a full season of Chip Kelly, which is they're going to be that pro-style hybrid offense for the foreseeable future, um, which I don't think anyone was doubting at this point, but this further confirms that. Yeah, and a, a few things. Um, okay, so when we go out to all these things during the spring and summer, I really love to watch the quarterbacks. I get a little bit obsessed. I should probably be over there watching defensive backs, but I love watching the quarterbacks because there's so much, there's so much to watch. Um, and I know judging them in a camp environment, uh, isn't the same as a game. I take all that into consideration, but it, one thing when you walk up and Dave, I know you, you're very good at this too. And maybe because we've done this together, you can walk up and just look at a kid's throwing motion, his pure throwing motion, and sometimes, woo, no. <laughs> no matter how good he was in his high school film, you go, uh, no. Or you can say, okay, that's pretty. That's smooth. It's natural. It's a natural. It's just a complete natural motion. I've watched enough film <coughs> of Parker McQuarrie, uh, not in his high school, but him throwing uh, – like at camps and combines, got my hands on a little bit of uh, stuff. Um, <laughs> um, contraband <laughs> video. And um, I re his motion is really pure. Uh, and and that, that goes a long way to me. I, I, over the years, I've seen that if kind of the motion isn't there, when you get to college football, there's, it's the, the action is so fast. There's big, mean guys coming at you if you can't naturally throw a ball well you don't have that motion it's going to break down and yeah there are guys who have quirky motions that are good but it's a good it's a good checklist and he does i, I really like that uh, about him that's what impressed me even before i knew you know even before we found out he was verbally or leaning towards ucla so that's all that's all great to me i i think it's a huge thing for for chip kelly um, I like his, I like, did you see his little graphic or yeah, edit? that was really we well thought? done. Wow. That was really cool. <laughs> I mean, of course he's taller than Josh, Josh and Trey Aikman because he really is right. 
Yeah, he's six seven. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. I like that graphic. <coughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm coughing. Um, so that's a big commitment. So it's been a kind of a good day. Um, I, I thought maybe we could discuss like what are things that UCLA fans have to be optimistic about overall and maybe a few things they should worry about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think first off on the, uh, on the optimistic side and, you know, I've been a big uh, critic of this, but I would say for the 2020 class, uh, definitely in so far, so good territory. Um, It seems like definitely hitting the, hitting the phone lines more um, visits seem to be, you know, seem guys seem to be enjoying their unofficial visits quite a bit. Um, and we're hearing a lot more positive feedback than we were at this time um, a year ago. And also, I mean, we're hearing from some guys who are like, yeah, UCLA's back in it with me because they've just started to talk to me so much more. Um, right. And so I think that was Clark Phillips, I think was saying something to that effect. Um so I think that's all really, really, really good feedback at this point. And obviously we want to see that sustained through the entire cycle. But, um, you know, for, for what we were looking for through the beginning of April, I think this is great. Yeah. I mean, in basketball, let's just, just be candid. I, just about any of the five guys, they, coaches they were considering would be an upgrade to the program. Um, there's going to be an unprecedented amount of support of resources and facilities for both programs uh, that we've never really seen coaches at UCLA operate under really um, that were coaches that were capable or even just solid under uh, really operate with this many resources and, and just support. (coughs) So that's, that's really something to be exciting about that kind of infrastructure of money and funds and facilities really goes a really, really long way. You can tell now when, I mean, UCLA went three and nine in football kid comes on campus every, just about every single interview we do with a, with a recruit, he's raving about the facilities, the sports science and what UCLA is doing within their program for, for its players. So that's all really exciting. That's all new territory for UCLA. It's, it, it kind of feels a little foreign, doesn't it, you, Dave, when all these kids are saying this about UCLA? Yeah. I mean, it seems bizarre. I, I would never in a million years have thought, you know, if we were like 10 years back, would you have predicted any of this stuff for either the basketball or the football program, like in terms of facility upgrades or any of this crap? I I always remember our mantra was always, if UCLA ever got its act together, it could be, it's the sleeping giant. Um, I didn't necessarily think it would ever get its act together. No. I I mean, the amount of fundraising it's done with donors is just phenomenal. And then compare it to like USC, they're, they're a private school and they're struggling to be able to hire enough like recruiting support staff. I, that's just that's just amazing to me. This is a state school. I, I don't know. It's it's I I think when if in a few years both programs are on are doing really well and succeeding and the fans are happy, uh, they're really going to look back and say that the fundraising and and the support and getting all the all the donor money was 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 really the most significant thing probably in UCLA's sports history yeah yeah i think that's right um so yeah i think basketball um obviously good shape football recruiting obviously in good shape and what else what else are you optimistic about at this point tracy um i'm i all all you know going back to recruiting i I just want to emphasize after watching the 2019 cycle I was skeptical that they'd be able to change things in, in with the 2020 cycle. I just thought that, you know, there a lot of times people just default back to to what they are and who they are. And there's a lot of the same coaches on the coaching staff. 
Um, but I'm going to say this, and I'm just not saying this to compliment the guy, but Ethan Young, uh, I think he's 23 years old, uh, the new director of player personnel at UCLA. The recruits are recruits are mentioning his name all the time. Uh, we're hearing really good things about what he's doing and how active he is. It, it's it's when I'm watching practice too. Um, so I'm watching the team. I'm watching all the different drills and everything. I'm kind of just really compelled to watch Ethan Young because he's talking to these parents. And Ethan Young, if you've never seen him, I think he is 23, but he could. I'm sure he gets carded whenever yeah, he, he goes to the bar. Yeah, yeah, he could. And just the fact that everyone, obviously, what we're hearing is so impressed with this guy, and then to see him and he looks so young, that's even more impressive. So I, I'm kind of optimistic that they are changing in recruiting, uh, which it was unexpected for me. I did not see that see that coming. So that's that's really. That's that's kind of that's my biggest surprise. Nothing else. That's the biggest surprise for me. I was probably still really skeptical that they would change. Yeah. 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 I think that's. I, I think it, it is. Um, and it's. And we're still not there yet completely, Dave. I mean, we've got a long ways to go in this cycle, but so far, so good. Yeah. So far, so good. Um, and I think we're going to be constantly touching in. And at the first, <laughs> I mean, at the first sign of that, like suddenly, you know, they take a break from it for like two months in the summer. Uh, that'll that'll be a big warning sign because they need. We'll to, be right there to jump all over it. Well, because the thing <laughs> is, this cycle they need to nail it. Like not just be you know pretty good and pretty competent, but they need to nail it. Um, and uh, and they're gonna have they're gonna have some issues doing that that are outside of their recruiting effort control. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's our segue into maybe something we're oh, a little yeah. bit pessimistic about. Yeah, things that we're well, you were ta- we're talking about things we're optimistic about, and then other things we're concerned about. I, I think while this recruiting effort so far has been good, so to recruit really well, you need this great recruiting effort, and you need to sustain it. But they need to be successful on the field, and I, I'm, I have my concerns. Uh, it's mostly about depth on this up this team for this upcoming season. They are so thin at some positions that I'm I'm fairly worried uh, from quarterback to offensive line to outside linebacker. Uh I that is very concerning. Um and I think it's key that UCLA gets to 7 wins. Because then they can hang their hat on, see, we're improving, we're on our way up. Uh, anything less than like a winning season, I, I think you can't really say they're improving. And it's hard then to sell that in recruiting. Yeah. So I think that would take all, any kind of momentum that maybe the program's feeling in the offseason with recruiting, that would pretty much kill that. So I, I'm not pessimistic, I'm just, the best way to put it is I'm concerned. Yeah. I would. I'm. I'm. I'm in much the same boat. Um, after watching a few practices in March, um, I think my my number one concern is probably just generically linebacker play, um, but both aspects of it. Um, I think this defense only really, really works if they have a base pass rush, and I'm struggling to see it. You know, Keyshawn Lucer South looks marginally better. Odua Izibor looks marginally better, but this was a horrific pass rush last year, and they need to get leaps and bounds better to the point where, like that. What and what we mean by that is like they need to add like some other people. <laughs> like it can't just be those two guys because we know who they are. Um, and Keyshawn Lucier South, he's he's fine, but he's not your guy who's going to get you double digit sacks. Um, Isabor was not even remotely a pass rusher that last year. Maybe he looks a little bit more flexible, a little bit more agile this year. So maybe you could, you know, pencil him in for a little bit more this year, but it's still, they have, they've got to basically double their sack totals. They've got to really, really, really get after the quarterback because otherwise you're going to be in the same position as you were last year where the, the defensive backs, as well as they play, 
are still going to get burned with regularity because they just don't get any help up front. So I, I think that's an issue with the pass rush. And then inside linebacker, you know, I, I, we saw a lot of improvement out of Chris Barnes towards the end of last year, but I still don't think he's anywhere close to the level of like Eric Kendricks or Jalen Brown or Miles Jack even, um, who was never a consistent player, but was obviously spectacular. Um, and unless they get really consistent play there, I'm not super confident in the run defense either. So, See, that's interesting because this is where I am. The team that played the last, uh, what, seven games? I think if you could get a team that's just maybe slightly better than that team, I bet they would get to six or seven wins with this upcoming season. The, the problem, though, uh, so the defense, let's say it's just equivalent, uh, just about the same, maybe a little bit better. But the defensive line will be a little bit better. you got more experienced guys at linebackers. Still isn't a great pass rush. But let's say the defense is about the same. I'm worried about the offense. Um, that offense is predicated on Josh Kelly, you know, being able to run, the running game being very effective. Um, the offensive line did rec- return some guys, but, it's it's thin and there's a question mark at left tackle and did I say it's thin and then on top of it you have un completely unproven thinness at quarterback um can Dorian Thompson Robinson just be as effective at the level that Wilton Spate was for you know the second half of the season um if he can and he doesn't get hurt, then I'm feeling good. But see, I I just feel depth is so important now in college football, even more so than it's ever been, that you just need you need strong playable depth, particularly at offensive line and quarterback. And that's where I don't see it. So I, I think can they weather just a couple of injuries? I mean <clears throat> they would not be able to get through the amount of injuries they had last year for this upcoming season. They are thinner this season than they were last year. Um, so then the natural thing is, well, grad transfers and you know, they didn't, they, they didn't do very well on that first kind of wave of grad transfers before spring practices across the country. I've been told that they'll get into the market after it, but I've been trying to get out there and research and talk to people on who they could be interested in or who could be interested in them and who could get into a UCLA grad program. And, and it, it doesn't look very promising for a lot of guys. Um, that Hawk Schreider kid, I, I would absolutely have taken him for depth at outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they needed another a graduate offensive, lo- offensive lineman. And it'd be great to just get a serviceable, uh, grad transfer quarterback. Um, Andre losing Andre James was significant to me. That's like a ripple through the offense. So, yeah, I'm I'm not as concerned about the defense. I'm concerned about the offensive line and quarterback, and particularly injuries. Well, the defense. So for me, the the issue is the defense. I don't think this gets because the offense was so horrible at the start of the year. The defense was god awful last year. Like, it was horrible. It was the 97th best defense in the country. Um, they were awful. Is that bad, Dave? <laughs> That's very bad. And they were and they were horrible down the stretch. Um, and, you know, some of that was injuries, obviously, on the, at the linebacker spots. But um, some of it was just the simple schematics of the defense didn't work with the personnel. Um, they couldn't generate any pass rush. And without a pass rush, this defense doesn't work. I'm not seeing a fix there. Like, I don't see anything that's generating a pass rush, so I'm having trouble seeing a systemic change there that suddenly elevates this defense. And the offense ended up a respectable 50th, um, and that was largely due to that brief spurt by Dorian Thompson-Robinson before he got hurt midseason, and then obviously the way uh, Wilton Spate closed the year against USC and Stanford. Um, If Dorian Thompson-Robinson plays as well as he did midseason right before he got hurt, they're going to be fine. We haven't seen that yet, but I'm willing to concede that he'll probably get there um, because injury, injury, injury is the issue there. And Austin Burton is, I think, conservatively a step down from Wilton Spate. I think we can just put it that way. Um, But I think 
he, he might be competent by that point. We don't know. Um, he's looked fine through spring ball, but it's spring ball. Who knows? Um, but probably not grad transfer Wilton Spate stepping in with basically no drop-off from Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Um, so there's that, which is, okay, so if Dorian Thompson-Robinson gets hurt, they probably don't have as good a backup as Wilton Spate last year. And then offensive line, though, I mean, they were playing Sam Marazzo big snaps last year. Um, and it, it, the offense got better throughout the year. I don't, I don't know if they're – it's not the same offense as the Blur, um, obviously, but I don't know if they're as dependent on high-level offensive line talent as um, a traditional offense uh, – you know, a traditional college offense that you would suspect. Well, one, remember the biggest significance, and a lot of people pointed this out, in that offensive line taking a jump to real competency was Boss Tagalo. Exactly. Plugging in that talent kind of pushed them over. So I think that it's obviously, with offensive line, it's kind of cumulative. you got five guys. He pushed them over into a decent offensive line. Where's the line where it's pushed back? Yeah, I, yeah, and if he gets if, yeah. if if Tagaloa gets hurt, then I think, well, yeah, that's an issue. Um, but I think that can be said in almost any year. Um, you lose a starting center, you're probably going to have some issues. There's probably going to be yeah. some issues with snaps. There's probably going to be a lot of issues. So, yeah, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is the the issues on offense are depth, and I think that's I think that's your kind of thesis too. But I, I think that's more my problem on offense. I think Chip Kelly given enough pieces, is going to create a good offense. Um, defensively, though, I I see a, a schematic issue that I don't think they're going to be able to fix just with the personnel on hand. Um, and that's probably why I'm more concerned just generally about linebacker play and defense. That's interesting because I, I didn't mind this game. I thought this game was actually pretty good. I, I thought a lot of the problem was two things. The massive amount of Injuries at linebacker. Um, and then two, the overall lack of experience and the youth on defensive line. I think those two, I don't think there's anyone really, really spectacular on either one of those units, but I think the defensive line is going to be better because they're going to be older and bigger and stronger. You saw those guys in spring. That I mean, Atito Albonia is a man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, I mean, can he play both ways? I, man, that dude, that dude is strong. Yeah. Um, and just if you look at Tyler Manoa, when Tyler Manoa was first taking his first snaps last September, he looks completely physically different than he did then. Uh, they're going to be, I think they're going to make a, those three freshmen along with Martin Andrus are going to make a big jump and be a lot better. And then just at linebacker, you, you got bodies who can play rather than playing walk-ons. Um, there are guys that you will be able to play, uh, that give you at least more playable depth. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not that w worried. It's funny that we kind of compartmentalize where we kind of fit together in pieces on where our concerns yeah. go. Yeah. Um, I'm just always worried about, I'm worried really about injuries. If I had a nitpick, what I think where maybe... Chip Kelly might have gone a little bit wrong in so far of being there. I, I would have, I know he wanted to clean house, change the culture, love, get that, and I'm all for it. 32 guys have left the program, and I think there were a handful of guys that maybe instead of just cutting them loose completely, that maybe they could have managed to keep in the program. Wait, 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 Tracy, uh, Tracy, are you yeah. trying to tell me that it's maybe not ideal to walk into a football season with like max 70 scholarship <laughs> players? I think there's about five or six guys that were on the roster that they could have taken more time and invested more to keep them in the program for their own selfish reasons for depth for this, for last season and depth for this season. Well, obviously, um, yeah, and obviously yeah. that, and obviously it's a complete joke if you're gonna do that that you don't then over recruit. Um, like signing a class yeah. of like twenty guys after doing that—that's, I mean, that's just that's just horrific planning. Which so, we all saw from, from yeah from I, the very beginning. Why are they recruiting twenty? They're gonna have like 
I guess I'm like blocking that part out, but like obviously, obviously, if we're talking about the number one issue with this team this year, it's overall depth. Like the the very simple fact that they don't, they probably aren't going to have enough bodies to get through the season without playing somebody very non-ideal in a key spot. Like there's going to be a moment where you're watching a walk-on on special teams make a mistake and you're going to be watching some guy drop a pass who probably shouldn't be in there. Like, that's going to happen, and the reason it's happening is because they're down 15 scholarship guys because they self-sanctioned by basically, right. you know, kicking 32 guys off the team and then also um, not recruiting enough. Like, that's just, we have to build that into it because that's, that's you know, we could talk about that all day and every day because it, it was an unforced error. And if you want to pinpoint, everyone always wants to pinpoint it to certain causes of why things are happening I'm, and i'm always trying to say it's just never black and white that it's always gray and there's all these different factors and it's timing and it's fluid but if you want to you can see a whole chain that if they don't win this year i think if if dorian thompson robbins stays healthy the offensive line stays healthy the team overall stays healthy i think they're going to have a winning season i think that's a huge if because that almost never happens so if that happens, that this season wasn't as successful because they had some injuries to key spots, and we follow the chain of why there wasn't enough depth, and then we look back and say, like you said, you know, running off players excessively, there's, if you want some black and white, I think that's where it is. I, that would have been, that might have been a misstep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not even going to go into might have been. It, it was obviously a misstep. And like, even if they get through the season without depth issues becoming like a significant issue, it's a misstep because it changes how you plan for um, classes from here on out. It's going to change your class balance going forward, um, unless you really take a long view and give it like five years to get your class sizes right. Um, it's uh, Whatever. I'm 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 super comfortable just saying it was a massive, massive error and hopefully it doesn't cost them big time this year, but I I'm a bit concerned that it will. Um regardless, um, but like I guess what I'm doing is I'm trying to set all of that aside when I'm looking at this. Um but yeah, I think depth issues are gonna be an issue across the board. They could vary I mean, linebacker got hit pretty hard last year, but it could be defensive back this year. Could be defensive line yeah. this year. I mean, it could be anybody. Um, linebacker, yeah, they were down to basically three inside linebackers by the end of the year. But, I mean, that that can happen anywhere. Um, and in any given year, that probably does happen to one position group. Like, that. Just that's the sort of thing that happens. You're playing a contact sport. I think the thing that kind of, uh, kind of really sent that message to me was Tuesday when I, I saw Chase Griffin. And nothing against the kid. It was his first day out. And he actually has a decent throwing motion, but he just doesn't, it just reminded you that he is a true freshman and to be playable and effective, just even slightly effective at the quarterback position as a true freshman, you have to be a massive, a really, really talented kid. I mean, you know, Josh Rosen, Uh, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson was probably who I think is very talented, was borderline last year as a true freshman. I don't think Chase Griffin is is that level kid. Maybe in three years he'll be able to maybe compete for the starting spot, but he's got the size to make up for and arm strength. I don't see him as being playable this coming season um, just from that first glance. Uh, maybe he'll make a big jump and, you know, quarterbacks that first day, <laughs> we've seen a lot of bad quarterback performances on their first day at, at practice, but just being able to judge this by – experience i don't think he's going to be playable um so one injury to dorian thompson robinson or austin austin burton or something i mean one injury i think we're going to see matt lynch trotting in from from that tight end spot on the sideline to you know throwing a a, a warming up on the sideline yeah there's I no think. question right like it would have to yeah be. yeah yeah so that's the worry overall i think optimism and it's based mostly on this is going to be a it's a new UCLA given all of you if you haven't done it go go on campus pay the twelve dollars to park on campus now do you remember when it used to be like five yeah. or six yeah. pay that money and go walk around 
go walk around campus. This is not, when I went there in the early eighties, my, I loved UCLA, but my takeaway, one of my takeaways was, man, this place always does things on a shoestring. <laughs> Everything was kind of cheap. If you went into, you know, Murphy hall and asked for this or this, they just didn't have the funding to print out a transcript. I just, it always was kind of the default. Well, no, we don't have that resource. We don't, it just seemed like they were always underfunded. If you go to UCLA now, like I went to, uh, it's not Bruin day, but it's like, uh, it's like a lun. I can't remember. It's in October. It's parents day. You go to parents day. I couldn't believe what UCLA had. They, I mean, there's this big, like right in front of Royce hall and, Dixon Plaza, they have this huge party with these big walls, like these light lit walls that are all lit up and they've got a stage and they've got, and they're giving you food and you're just saying, when did this happen? <laughs> where do they store those big partitions anyway? I, you know, where I was just, UCLA is not the same. It's, it's different. It has a lot of money and you can especially see it in the athletic department. Um, if you just go look at Wasserman and you look at Mo Austin, it's, it's very, very, very impressive. Like I would love for Brian Doan to come back. Oh, you know what? What am I talking about, Dave? This is really stupid. And I vastly apologize. You just walked on campus for the first time in what? Three years. Yeah. Um, well two years, but like two years. none of the stuff was done, uh, when I last walked on. Um, so I saw, I mean, it is wildly different even in just the last two years, basically. Um, like the whole, the whole renovation to um, the west side of campus, well, southwest side of campus with um, the Wasserman Center and the Mo Austin facility. It's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy how different it is. Um, and the, the hotel is, I mean, that's bonkers like really, really nice hotel on campus with like a good, looks like a good restaurant. I don't know. It's a um, good restaurant. It's a good bar. Yeah. That's where I work. It's just, <laughs> and really great Wi-Fi. Yeah. Awesome Wi-Fi. Awesome Wi-Fi, which is really our priority. Um, yeah. But it was, I mean, it was, it's just, it's, and that's, you know, it's the old thing, which is, um, you know, under construction in Los Angeles or whatever the old UCLA yeah. acronym was. Um, yeah. it's always under construction, but they're, they actually are under putting... construction. Like always. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, they've clearly, they've put in a ton of money on all that stuff and it's not stopping anytime soon. They're going to be renovating the hall of fame and adding, um, another Austin building there. Um, yeah. so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I strongly recommend the experience of just kind of walking on, especially if you haven't been for like, even like five years, it's just so wildly different. And if you haven't been for yeah. a long time, if you haven't been for like 10 or 15 or 20, I mean, you could start up at the dorms and walk down and it's just like, oh, this is an entirely different place and it looks like a resort. The Residence Hill is stunning. It's a stunning, it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's one of UCLA's biggest sells for to get kids to go there. And it is amazing. And, and like, just from everything, the dining halls are rated like the number two, the number two quality food of any school in the country. I think it's over like Dartmouth or someone who has a culinary school on campus. It's something like that. So, I, and if you walk around there, it's just so impressive. It, it's just really, really beautiful. It's it's just stunning what they've done to UCLA compared to like when I was in Sproul Hall, you know, in the early eighties. It, it wasn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, it just simply wasn't like that. Um, so from that standpoint, you should be if you're a UCLA alum, you should be very proud. And I think we've never experienced we're on the cusp of a new era, just given, I think, the impact it's going to have on these two teams, the, the two programs of football and basketball. Yep, absolutely. Did you see in did you see in Parker McQuarrie's? graphic they got this down exactly they got like the shoulder stripes of the of like troy aikman the color of the numbers they did it exact it's it was really, really good it's really well done really well done 
Uh, whoever yeah. whoever did that really deserves you know some some props. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we gotta we gotta find that. Okay, out. Dave. All right, all right, Tracy. Well, it's a uh, well maybe by the time you'll be listening to this, it's a new era for UCLA basketball. But if it's not, it soon will be. Um, and hopefully, I didn't jinx everything by uh, saying it will be the uh, Tyus Edney era. Um, but who knows? This day and age. All right, Tracy. Well. Thanks for coming on, as always, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. See you all.